Hey, good morning, family. The reading this morning will come from John chapter 15. It's John chapter 15, verse 18, through John 16, 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come to you and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates my father also, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word, the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's really good to see you today. Let's pray, and then we'll get right down to work. Father, we sang some really hopeful lyrics together. But the, the lyrics that we sang are, don't always feel immediately true, and so we carry a lot of uh, weights and wounds into this space and um, weariness. And so, Father, I pray that your invitation to us this morning as your kids would be heard and received, that we would come to you for rest, and that we would actually find that rest in Jesus, healing rescue, restoration, renewal. We're not here for a performance. We're not here for content. We're not here for a show. 
we are here to encounter you, our Father and Jesus, our older brother and rescuing King and Spirit, the one who brought our hearts to life and sustains us. Father, we pray that during this time, your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our hearts. We pray that you would give us today the nourishment, the food that our souls need to sustain us through another day. We pray that you would lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. We pray that you would incline our hearts to forgive those who have sinned or trespassed against us in the same way that we have received incredible forgiveness from you for our trespasses against you. And Father, remind our hearts this morning that it's your kingdom, your power, and your glory. Not ours, not our glory. We're not glory hunting for ourselves. We do, and we repent of that. Uh, We repent of trying to build our own kingdoms this week. And we thank you for the rest it gives us to be reminded that it's your kingdom, not ours. No pressure. We don't have to project power. It's your power. And Father, my heart, as we read Psalm 146 earlier, says that you watch over the sojourner, you uphold the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked you bring to ruin. And I'll confess again, that's one of those word, one of those verses that does not feel immediately true because we think of the people of Ukraine and we think especially of the children who are traumatized and afflicted and oppressed and brutalized and trafficked in environments like that. And it doesn't feel immediately true that you are protecting the sojourners there or being near and protecting the powerless, the widows and the orphans. And so, Father, we, as your family, just sit collectively for a moment and together we pray that this would be the lived reality for those people, that you would be near, that you would protect the sojourner that you would be near and protect the widow and the orphan. And Father, we pray that you would bring to ruin the wicked, those who would oppress or brutalize or act unjustly towards the most vulnerable in that country. And so we sit just as a family and together implore you for these things. Father, it doesn't feel like your kingdom is coming in Ukraine. It feels incredibly broken. And so we pray that you would restore and renew and rescue and show yourself to be king near the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit and save them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. not me. Okay, John 15. We are cruising through John, guys. I think we're scheduled to be done our exploration through John. I think on Easter Sunday or in the weeks following. Maybe, yeah, Easter Sunday. Uh, So we're really, really cruising through this gospel. I didn't preach last week. If you weren't here, uh, Zach Pittman. That was last week. Was that last week? That was last week. Man. Are you, are you in here, Zach? He's teaching. Okay, he's teaching upstairs next door. Um, that was Zach's first sermon that he, that he ever preached. And so when you see him later, if you would, 
uh, take a minute and encourage him. Uh, he worked hard and he did really good work. He served Jesus well and he served us well. And um, it'd be all right if he was here preaching again this week and I was seated where you were. That'd be fine for all of us. Um, but please affirm him later. We're going to pick up where he left off this morning. We will pick up at John 15, 18 and go through the first half of 16, exactly what was uh, read for us just a few moments ago. The big idea from the text this morning is right here. It says, when hated for your allegiance to our Father's kingdom, in your sorrow, Jesus holds you close and the Spirit helps you overcome. When hated for your allegiance to our Father's kingdom, in your sorrow, Jesus holds you close and the Spirit helps you overcome. As I like to do, let me just show you where each of those pieces comes directly out of the text so you know that we're not making this up for a catchy opening line or just so we have something to say this morning. Uh, notice the first piece of that, chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. I love that little play on speech too. You have of the world and rescued out of the world, which reminded me of those words that we live in, but not of, right? There it is. Therefore, here it is, guys, right? In black and white. Well, it should be black and white, but somebody thought all of Jesus' words should be in red. That's not inspired, by the way. It should just be black and white, but here you go, in red. Jesus said it, guys. Like, just full disclosure. Jesus tells us up front, if you're going to be my follower in this broken world, there will be not all the time and by all people, but there will be seasons where you're hated for that. Okay, so that's the hate piece. And then the held close by Jesus piece, chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus said, I have said all these things to you. Why? To keep you from falling away. That's Jesus saying, I am going to keep you, hold you close so that you don't fall away in seasons like this one. Okay, So when we are hated for our allegiance to the Father's kingdom, in our sorrow, Jesus holds us close and then helped. Let's jump down to verse mm, 7 will be good. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, and then Jesus unpacks all that he's going to do. He'll do some, he'll, he'll take some actions towards those who are uh, in the world, and he takes specific actions towards those of us who are in the family. So Jesus holds us close, and the Spirit helps us. Uh, I think verse 13 is next to show exactly what the Spirit will do for us. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide us in all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. It's helpful for me to kind of break this passage down into two pieces. Here, here's how I remember it. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. Hated, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> I know you've all heard those words before. It's not you, it's me. But it's actually true here. It's actually true. Um, normally when we receive those words, they're not true. That's the easy way out or the safe way to not have to say difficult things. But this is actually Jesus' way of saying the true difficult things. And it's, it's not you. 
It's me. The second piece, held and helped. Here, it's, it's me, Jesus would say, with you and for you. So we'll break our conversation down in those two pieces. Let's begin with hated, it's not you, it's me. Now, this passage invites us to use our imagination. I think it would be helpful for us to use our imagination a little bit. And what I want you to imagine is uh, an absolutely beautiful kingdom. A kingdom so beautiful that if it existed, you would, you would, you would, you would, you would go UA. I mean, you would just leave everything right now. You would walk away from everything, no matter the consequences. And you would, no matter the housing market, you're buying here. You are moving into this kingdom. It's a beautiful kingdom. It's a beautiful kingdom because it is ruled by a just king, like a, a perfect king. This political figure has never existed in the history of our world. A perfect leader who is just and gentle and wise and not in it for his or herself, ethical, compassionate, empathetic, just. And so because of their character, the kingdom that they rule is all of these things. So it's life-giving, right? Imagine this place. There is no sorrow in this kingdom. There's no shame here. There's no guilt. There is no hatred. There is no oppression. There is no injustice. There is no racialization, no racism, no classism, no ethnocentrism. There's economic justice. There's legal justice. There's educational equity. It's safe. Your children roam the streets a little bit like my Okinawan neighborhood. And at least in my mind, I don't even think twice about it. It's safe. It's beautiful. Right? There's truth in this kingdom, but there's beauty in this kingdom. It's, it's a flourishing kingdom. And part of the reason why is because Every member of this kingdom finds everything they need for their soul to be satisfied in the person of the king. And so in hearts that are fully satisfied then, people are free to live out the king's mandate. And here's the king's mandate in this kingdom. He divided up his kingdom and he said, here's your peace, here's your peace, here's your peace. Here are your skills, here are your skills now. I want you to exercise dominion over what I've given you for the good of what I've entrusted to you and for the flourishing of the people around you. And we actually embrace that ethic. And so every gift we've been given, everything we don't own but we manage or we steward, we steward for our king's fame and for the good of other people. Imagine a neighborhood or a workplace, a kingdom, if you will, where every action that was taken was predicated by this kind of calculus where we would sit and do the math. I wonder what, I wonder how, what is the best way today I can use what I have to help other people in this kingdom flourish? Imagine living there. That's beautiful. A kingdom where there's no human trafficking, no objectification of other people, no pornography, 
no secrets. Just beautiful, life-giving. Now imagine the opposite, a very broken kingdom. And sadly, at this point in our imagination, you almost don't have to use your imagination anymore because I'm about to describe the world in which you get out of bed and put your feet on the cold floor and go to work or go to school. It is a world filled with shame and sadness and sorrow and brokenness and oppression and racialization and inequity and injustice and right on down the line and human trafficking and objectification of women and of men and uh, children who are powerless and defenseless who are regularly taken advantage of. It's a broken kingdom. It's a broken kingdom because the hearts of the people in this kingdom uh, through a collective coup, if you will, and collectively decided we can be better kings than this good king. Watch this. And so we take what we have been given and we take the peace of the kingdom that we have been given to steward and we, we become the kings of our own little kingdoms. And so now with souls that are not satisfied, uh, we no longer exist for the flourishing of others. The ethic of this broken kingdom is you exist for your own self-discovery and exploration and flourishing. And if that's going to be your ethic, you can't live for the flourishing of other people. You have to use people like a commodity and not like they're image bearers of God. And therein is the root of this broken, ugly kingdom. Now, imagine the king rides back into this kingdom that's rightfully his and it's broken. And he says true words and he does works that expose the rebel hearts that we all have. In other words, we're all born into this broken kingdom, but it's not like we're just passively present. We actually participate in the systemic rebellion, if you will, against our king. And so his words and our works expose. Now, if we were in that kingdom and we were suddenly exposed for the fraudulent, selfish kings that we were or are, what do you think our most visceral response would be? Ah, oh, gee, thanks, Jesus, for pointing that all out. This is fantastic. How would we respond? How do we respond when that actually happens in our own lives? We hate it. We despise it. And that's exactly what we see. We don't have to use our imagination any longer. Jesus rolls in, John 15, verse 22. And Jesus says, If I had not come into this broken kingdom and spoken to these rebels they would not have been guilty of sin. Uh, they would not have been fully aware of the guilt of their rebellion, if you will. But now, they have no excuse for their sin. No excuse. What other author in Scripture uses that language right there? What does that remind you of? No excuse, inexcusable? Do you know? Paul in Romans, in the opening of Romans, we are without excuse because the king has ridden back into the rebel kingdom. So no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So it's not even really about hatred of Jesus. It's about hatred of the father, and Jesus comes on behalf of the father. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. In other words, Jesus 
when he came as our rescuing king and rode into our broken kingdom and announced our rebellion to us and showed us the better way, he wasn't surprised that overwhelmingly the response from the rebel kingdom was one of resistance and opposition and hatred. No surprise on Jesus' part. So the king rides in. He announces through his words and his works. His words and his works expose our rebel hearts, and our response is a hatred, an opposition, a rejection. So we're without excuse, but the scope expands, if you will. Notice down in verse 26, Jesus It's not just that the king rode into the kingdom. The king would eventually depart again, but he would send in another member of the royal family, if you will, a herald, if you will. And this herald would exist to announce globally the kingdom that should be and the kingdom that actually is and our part in the rebellion. Verse 26 He's introduced here as the helper. We know this is the spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God himself. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, what will he do? He's going to bear witness about me. So the spirit exists in the world to bear witness about our rightful rescuing king, Jesus. Now, if we want more detail of of the announcing work of the spirit in our broken kingdom, all we have to do is drop down into verse 16 starting at about verse mm, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So into our kingdom rides Jesus, our rightful and rescuing king. He shows a better way. He, he does the works of the kingdom that should be, and he begins rescuing rebels out of the broken kingdom. And what Jesus does is, remember, in but not of, Jesus begins building the counter kingdom, if you will, right here in this broken kingdom. In fact, in the gospels, Jesus was asked, where is the kingdom of God? Do you remember that question? Do you remember how he responded? Where is it? Can you touch it? Can you see it? But where is it? What did he say? It's in you and among you. Jesus is building the kingdom that should be in and among the broken kingdom that currently is. And the spirit exists in the broken kingdom to declare to every rebel present, yeah, you're a rebel. You're living in rebellion to the king who created you. You won't find in this broken kingdom what your soul needs. And this spirit exists to call all rebels back to the king who created them and to call all rebels into the beautiful, the already but not yet restored beautiful kingdom that the father is building in the midst of our broken kingdom. He exists as a witness to Jesus. And so friends, as rebels, we were not only without excuse, we were inexcusable in our rebellion, but the witness was inescapable. There is no place you can run in this world in which you can escape the witness of the Spirit. 
You can go to the deepest, darkest cave. You can go to the highest mountain. You can go deep within yourself to find peace or to try to find peace apart from God. There is no place in this world, if you are still a rebel from the God who created you, where you can run and escape your true and better king. I think of Jonah. Remember when he was thrown overboard and he descended to the depths and that was his, that was his death song, if you will. It, it, God's presence is inescapable. And God the Father in his kindness called Jonah back in out of the broken kingdom into the true and better kingdom. Now what's our role in all of this as Jesus builds the beautiful kingdom in the middle of the broken kingdom in which we all live? Well, uh, we are witnesses too. Verse 27 says, And you also will, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So now if you have been rescued by Jesus and adopted in and made right, you've been reconciled to the king, to the God who created you, and now you exist. Now we know there's this tension, right? We still all have these remaining rebel tendencies within us where it's this daily tug of war almost where we spend so much of our life existing for our own flourishing and our own fame and our own power projection and running from God and trying to be the better king. That tendency is rooted down deep and it takes a lifetime and the work of the spirit to eradicate those tendencies from our heart. But at the same time, we've seen and taken the beautiful restored kingdom and we we participate in it and we get to live in that we're in both we're in the broken and the the already beautiful but not yet and that's that's why there's so much tension in your soul guys that's why it's there we live we have a foot in both kingdoms if you will they exist together and so what Jesus says for us is look here, I just need you to know this. If I have adopted you in and I've rescued you and you're part of my counter kingdom, here's what you need to know. Verse 20 and 21. Remember, fam, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But look at this. Here's a hopeful word. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So again, Jesus isn't saying, hey, you're a follower of mine. So now every minute of your life, everywhere you go, every person's going to hate you and be against. That's not what he's saying. The, the opposition will happen in seasons and from some people. Some people will be indifferent. Some people won't care. But here Jesus says there are, act and this is beautiful, guys. This is why we exist here in Okinawa. There are actually people in this broken rebel kingdom here where as you witness to Jesus, to them, you, you share the words or you do the works of Jesus, they will hear the words and see the works and they will respond in belief just like you did. Verse 21. This is where especially we as Westerners need to just sit down and be like, all right, it's not all about me. All these things they will do to you on account of who? My name. Because they do not know him who sent me. Fam, it's not about us. It is not about you. The opposition, the hatred, the words, all the things... They don't know the Father in the way that you know the Father. They do not know Jesus in the way that you know Jesus. 
your life now is representative of the beautiful ethic of Jesus' restored kingdom. And that true and better, more beautiful ethic shines a light on the darkness of our rebel world. And that's what rebels hate. It's not you. It's Jesus. It's the Father. It's the ethic of his kingdom. Now, normally... In our broken kingdom, this kind of news would be super clarifying for any tribal group or people group, right? So Jesus is very clearly telling us and helping us identify there will be people who hate you. And so ordinarily in our broken kingdom as a family, we'd be all, all right, Jesus, this is really clear now. We know who our enemy number one is. We are the Hatfields. They are the McCoys, right? We exist as instruments of God's wrath and justice, and we will make them pay. And unfortunately, there are many expressions of Christianity that exist in that very same way. That's not the ethic of our family. Check this out. I love this. There's a little contrast right in this chapter. Look at where verses 17 and 18 come together. Jesus says, These here's the ethic of our family, and it's beautiful. These things I command you so that what? You will love. You love. Now, here he's talking about loving one another, but we know from many other places there is a particular family love, but as a family, we are also called to love those outside of the family. So love is the ethic of our family. You love. Now, look at verse 18. What does it say? If the world hates you. So just let those four words stand in contrast. You love, world hates. There is the ethical difference between our father's family and the family of this rebel kingdom. The difference between Jesus and his kingly rule and the kingly rule in this world. World hates, we love. So when Jesus crystallizes for us who it is that stands in opposition to us, what is the posture of our family towards those who would be hostile toward us? Paul picks this theme up beautifully in Romans chapter 12. Here we go. I just want to show you a few comments, guys, because some of us, this is all we need to hear this morning. But we need to see it in black and white, and here it is, Romans 12. Excuse me, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. The word bless means to, to speak well of and to do kind things toward. So our family will be persecuted because of our allegiance to our Father's kingdom. When we are persecuted, a favor is done for us in that the target of our blessing becomes crystallized and there's no second guessing right? Who we exist to show love to. Who do you exist to show love to? The, the greatest enemy you have in your neighborhood and in your workplace. That's who. So you have a particular love for the father's family in here, and then you have a targeted gentle love towards those outside the family, particularly those who exist to, to uh, drive you into the ground because of your allegiance to Jesus. We bless those who persecute us. We bless and we do not curse them. Verse 16 says, we live in harmony with one another. 
verse 17 says, here's another ethic for our family. We repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So I'm dishonored. The question I ask is not how, I, how can I dishonor to a greater degree. How can I honor incredibly the person who is existing to dishonor me in my shop, in my unit, in my neighborhood, at school? How do I honor them? The person that's dishonoring me on social media, how do I honor them in return? If possible, verse 18 says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, beloved, avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guys, that is the ethic of our family. That is the ethic of the beautiful, restored kingdom. A younger man, somebody half my age, uh, which happens all the time now, and I take you guys out for lunch, and I learn I could almost old enough to be your father at the age of 41. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So we were sitting over curry, um, a great Indian curry place in Yomitan. Ask me about it later. Take me there. I'll, I'll tell you all about it. And he said, John, why are you a Christian? And I thought, man, that's a really good question. So he, he is a brother, he's, and he's actually in our family. And I had to sit there and think. I think that's the first time in six almost years of pastoring this church family that any member of our family has actually looked me in the eye and said, hey, why, why are you a Christian exactly? So I had to push back from my non, which takes a lot to make me push back from my non. <laughs> and I pushed back, and I thought, man... I think the first way I answer that question now as an older man is, I'm a Christian because my rescuing king sought me out, right? Like, I, he took the initiative. I, I can't own the decision initially. Jesus was sent by the Father. He, he's our rescuer, just like we sang in the songs, and he rescued me from the broken kingdom and adopted me into his more beautiful and better kingdom. So that's my first answer. But my second answer is, I, I think I'm a Christian because I have... I have found the claims of the gospel and of Jesus and of Christianity in general to be true. So there's a, a, a truth element to it. But I think as a younger man, that was my first answer and my only answer. Well, like the gospel's true. Like it's just, it's true. Why aren't you a Christian? It's true. And so I said, listen, I think there's actually, well, those two pieces remain. The father pursued me and I have found it to be true. Um, other people have found it to be untrue, and other people don't feel they've been pursued. So what's the third piece for me now? And it's beauty. I find it to be more beautiful and life-giving. And I think that has become, in my older years, at least for our context, almost my lead answer now. Because the kingdom that my Jesus reigns over and that he is restoring in our bro broken world is so far superior to the brokenness of the kingdom in which we live. And honestly, I just have to say, so much more beautiful than any other human attempt to describe or rebuild some kind of ethical kingdom. They all fall flat, like in a one dimension, when they're positioned against Jesus' multi-dimensional, beautiful, life-giving, restored kingdom. Look, it is just more beautiful and life-giving. And so, fam, the sun is setting on the broken kingdom in which we live, and the sun is rising on the kingdom ruled by Jesus. 
And I want to say that because there are some of you in this room still who will give intellectual assent to Jesus and to truth claims in this, but your life still bears allegiance to the broken kingdom. And you don't ever experience any of these things that Jesus is describing because there is not an allegiance to him or an affection for him and because your citizenship still rests in the broken kingdom and you have to know the sun is setting on that kingdom and on all the citizens of that kingdom and the sun is rising on the kingdom of the resurrected king and the season for you to repent of your active participation in the rebellion against our creating and reigning king is drawing to a close. But it's here right now. And today, the gift that Jesus would give to you is the gift to leave that broken, ugly world and to find your soul satisfied in the God who created you and to stop living in the broken kingdom with its ugly, broken, ethical system and to live in the beauty of Jesus' kingdom with its justice and a kingdom ruled by mercy, a kingdom who actually values kindness and love and empathy. I mean, what, which kingdom would you honestly rather live in? And today Jesus rides into your rebel world and he invites you. Actually, he, he offers to get down off of the horse and to pick you up because you lack the power to get yourself out of that broken kingdom and he will get you home. And you're going to have to go home soon, so let's finish this up. <laughs> when you are hated for your allegiance to the Father's kingdom, in your sorrow, Jesus will hold you close and the Spirit will help you overcome. Let me just show you this in chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus said, listen, fam, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. The promise in the sorrow is a promise that in all of our weakness, likelihood that we would fall away, Jesus will hold us close and keep us from falling away. Here's what he's promised would happen to them. Verse two, he said, they will put you out of the synagogues. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God and they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me. Now that's not, not gonna happen to us. We're not Jewish and we don't belong to a synagogue. But those two elements happen over and over again. That cycle's always repeated. What are the two pieces? Um, you will be excluded from community. You, there will be a severing of relationships. So if you choose allegiance to Jesus, you will be excluded from certain communities and there will be certain relationships, people who um, remove you from the opportunity to be relationally intimate with them or close to them. That severance will still happen. And when it happened, this community thought that they were doing God a favor. Listen, if, you, if your allegiance is rest with God's kingdom, you will be persecuted, if you will, in many settings. And the people who are marginalizing you actually believe that they are doing the right thing and the moral thing and that Christianity is dangerous. And so they may not be doing it for God per se, as this Jewish audience would have been, but they are doing it because they believe it is the ethically right thing to do and that the message of the gospel is dangerous and damaging and your Christian approach to living is repressive and oppressive and regressive and backwards and all the things. That has not changed in 2,000 years, fam. 
And so Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be surprised when that day comes because, fam, if you choose allegiance to Jesus and you stay in your military vocation for 20 years, you will have these seasons. And Jesus does not want you to be surprised when they come. Verse 4 says, I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to keep you from falling away. The way I'm going to do it is I'm going to tell you the truth. So my words keep my kids from falling away. So on one hand, that's really good news for me because I know, what it's, I know how likely it is for my heart to be discouraged, overwhelmed, fearful, and to begin to fall away. And Jesus says, no, my words will keep you close. But while that's good news... I mean, I'll just confess to you, that's not great news for me because I don't do a good job on my own, apart from community, living with you guys, at keeping myself close to Jesus' words. And I'm a forgetful son, so like, I'm sorry if that disappoints you as your pastor. You've probably only ever had pastors who are model Christians and all the things. So I can recommend several other churches on the island if that's the experience you were hoping for. Sorry. Guys, I forget Jesus' words all the time, sometimes on purpose, because his words remind me in moments where I've started pursuing my own kingdom again. And so while it's good news, it's honestly, it can be a little overwhelming because I see this connection between persevering with Jesus and remembering his words. And in those moments where I grow discouraged because of that reality and I think of my own weaknesses, It does my heart a whole lot of good to remember the role of the Spirit. Now look at this in verse 7, verse 6. Just verse 5, we can do it. He said, I did did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So guys, listen, that's the normal human response. If you are sorrowful because of your existence with a foot in the restored kingdom and a foot in the broken kingdom, that's normal. And we have to learn to embrace the sorrow and not to be ashamed of it or to run from it. We got to name it and sit in it. And it should be expected that when you're persecuted or rejected, even though, look, don't be the fake Christian who's, oh, I'm always full of joy, just happy, happy, happy because Jesus. No, I am, ha- I am joyful, yes, but I have a lot of sorrow in my life because Jesus too, okay? Joy and sorrow always flow together, mingled down in this broken world. Sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Look at this. This is crazy. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We already looked at what the Spirit would do as it relates to the world. Look it down to verse 13, though, for what he will do for us as adopted and rescued rebels. Verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, I just need to say right there, some of us have taken that verse and gone to some unhealthy places with that. That does not mean that the Spirit's going to give you some kind of secret knowledge. The name of, like, so you're single and you're sitting in this room and miraculously, like, I'm going to marry you. The Spirit told me, right? Like, some of us grew up in kind of certain expressions like that. Like, God told me that you're going to be my husband or my wife. Um, that's not what Jesus is talking about, okay? What is he talking about? The things that are to come. Guys, tomorrow can be very fearful for us because you don't know what tomorrow holds 
And maybe the more fearful thing is you don't know how you're going to respond to what tomorrow holds. The beauty of the gospel is that God, Father, Son, and Spirit are already in tomorrow. They're here with you today. They are already there in your tomorrow. And when the time is right, the Spirit will show you exactly what you need to see and exactly what you need to know. And he will empower you to respond exactly the way that you need to respond. And when we fail to respond the way that we should, it is the Spirit's presence with us that keeps us with the Father and restores us to the Father. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine. He's going to tell you all my stuff, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I just want to show you this as we wrap, guys. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I leave, because in leaving, I give you the Spirit, and the Spirit will exist as your guide. He's going to take you somewhere. He's going to teach you how to navigate existence, a coexistence, if you will, with one foot in the broken kingdom and the other in the restored kingdom. And he walks with you, and he guides you. That's Jesus' kind way of saying you can't live life without a guide. Stop. Christianity is not this tool that helps you to be autonomous and independent and strong on your own. The gospel is the good news that you are created to live dependently on your creator and rescuing king. And the spirit is given to us as the guide our guide to take us all the way home and to show us how to live in this broken world. And as we sorrow to give comfort to our hearts as our allegiance to our Father's kingdom introduces a ton of conflict and relational tension and turmoil in our lives. And the way that we endure, the way that we hold fast is presence with the Spirit. And if he's our guide, what do you think that means we need to do with him? How many of you have ever had a guide before for anything? Okay. <laughs> what do we do when we have a guide? We follow, we listen, we stay close. Have you ever been separated from your guide? That's scary. You stay close, you listen, and guess what? Your guide's the guide because they know better. And guys, so often in life, we know better. And we become angry with God. It's almost as if we can see the future. And so we're angry at God because he's made certain decisions for us. And we would make different decisions for ourselves. As if we can see three weeks from now, three years from now, 30 years from now. God's list, or we listen to our guides. We follow our guides. We submit to our guides. So fam, Grant's going to come and lead us in response. But before we actively start singing. Let's sit together in silence for a minute and let's confess where we have not been listening to the Spirit who is our guide and let's listen to the Spirit's voice and let's ask him to do for us what he promised, that he would point us back to Jesus and tell us true things about our world and about our hearts and that he would keep us and that in our sorrow, and I know we have a lot of sorrowing hearts in here this morning, that in our sorrow, he would be present, working redemptively and restoratively, helping us grow to, in our emotional maturity so that we don't have to run away from our sorrow to be okay. 
we can sit in it and lament it and mourn whatever it is that is leading us to sorrow while at the same time having a heart filled with hope and gentleness and love from the Spirit. Let's sit together for a minute and talk and listen to the Spirit who is our guide.